This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. There is at least one bank out there that was more than willing to work with you if you had the capital to try and evade taxes wherever you might be located. That would be HSBC, which has had a presence here in the United States for quite some time. The details of this case that is really just uh, making its way out in the last couple of weeks suggest that much of the shenanigans happened within the last several years, but the doors to those actions may have already been shut in some cases. But leaked information to the international to international journalists has brought much of this to light and have further pressure put on the bank. To look at what we're talking about here and what has happened and what might be going forward, we're joined here in the studio by Wharton Assistant Professor of Accounting Jennifer Bluen, as well as on the phone William Black, who's an Associate Professor of Economics and Law at the University of Missouri in Kansas City. Jennifer, great to have you here in the studio. Thanks Thank for you. coming in. Happy to be here. Bill, great to have you on the show today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Bill, I'll start with you. According to the stories and the accounts uh, being uh, passed away along right now, uh, much of this is going back to 2008, and apparently in many cases, at least here in the U.S. and a couple other countries, has already been addressed and taken care of. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> well, in some cases. Uh, it, it, uh, in the United Kingdom, for example, uh, exactly one person has been prosecuted. Uh, in Switzerland, the, the only person they're eager to prosecute is the whistleblower, uh, there have been uh, virtually no prosecutions in the United States, and uh, these are not shenanigans. Uh, these are a broad range of activities, but many of them are felonies uh, that uh, aid and abet a, a crime. And enormous uh, numbers of them involve uh, drug smugglers, uh, murderers, uh, you know, uh, just the most horrific uh, things in the world. It's pretty much the complete death of ethics at HSBC. So then, so then why are we just hearing about it now? Because the governments that were given the information uh, overwhelmingly sat on the information. The information is extremely embarrassing. Uh, pick your group, whatever you like. Um, it's on the HSBC list. Uh, sports stars, uh, high government uh, officials, peers, uh, parts of royalty from a number of different uh, nations, uh, very, very powerful uh, people. Uh, it was very embarrassing in the context of a number of uh, nations to have this information uh, potentially come out, so it didn't come out. The uh, head of the FCA, which is the one of the two uh, new uh, banking regulatory agencies in the United Kingdom after the uh, crash, <laughs> testified that, uh, well, actually he didn't know anything about uh, what was in uh, the uh, tax information other than what he had read in the paper, and he didn't know if there was a channel to the, uh, the British equivalent of the IRS. Uh, now, if you're a banking regulator, you have to work with the equivalent of your IRS. 
So, again, the new and improved regulatory system was proven to be pretty much an utter sham in the U.K., Jennifer, this is obviously very disconcerting to a lot of people on a lot of fronts. Uh, what's the most disconcerting thing for you for your purposes? Well, I guess from the perspective of uh, U.S. taxpayers, I mean, this information came to the U.S. government, and we've had an amnesty program in place, and it appears that I think roughly three thousand individuals paid some taxes for the banking information or bank accounts or assets that they had abroad that otherwise hadn't been reported in the United States. The issue from from the perspective of the UK is you have a essentially a, an enormous group of people, very well-known people, yeah. very wealthy people who have skirted the law, right? So they have a sense of they live and work and own real estate in the UK but are effectively legally essentially classifying themselves as non-domiciled in the United Kingdom. That means they only have to pay taxes to the extent they report income in the U.K. Well, so what do you do? You you make sure the income and assets aren't in the U.K. And that's where I think the secrecy issue in Switzerland and HSBC clearly facilitated their ability to do that. And, Bill, this is, this is obviously something that, as you alluded to, there are a lot of very powerful, very well-known people that are involved in this from – just looking at the list of people that were involved from the United Kingdom, it reads like a who's who list of lords across that country. Yes, and indeed, they uh, the new Tory government made the former head of HSBC appear and made gave him a ministry. Yeah, and they're now talking about well, I only engaged in vanilla tax evasion. <laughs> Is there such a thing as vanilla? Is there such a thing as vanilla tax evasion? I don't think so. Well, actually, there kind of is for the reasons <laughs> uh, your uh, guest in your studio just explained. Uh, in the United Kingdom, uh, the non-domiciliary uh, nature of taxes uh, is uh, almost an invitation to tax evasion if you are wealthy and sophisticated. Uh, regular people, of course, don't get to do this, and this drives home further not only the actual inequality, but the feeling of inequality that the uh, typical Brit in the street feels. So then what is the next step then in this process to try and, and uh, obviously there are a lot of people that have, have moved forward and been able to uh, uh, basically pay off the little bit of tax that they quote-unquote owe, but there are, seems to be a lot bigger issues, as you mentioned, with the banking industry in the U.K. and obviously in Switzerland as well that need to be addressed very quickly. Yeah, I mean, a tax amnesty program does not, uh, of course, pay what these people actually owed with all the penalties yeah. and such. It's a, sometimes a, close to a pittance. But uh, the broader point is that HSBC, uh, this is not the first uh, time that, that we've been here. Uh, HSBC, we did a major settlement with uh, for helping uh, the Sinaloa drug cartel, one of the most violent cartels in the world that uh, has beheaded many more people than ISIS, uh, for example, um, where the, the bank worked so closely with the cartel that the cartel actually had containers designed to bring up to the cash window that fixed the cash window uh, completely. And it, it, was, it helped in genocidal folks uh, in the South Sudan uh, as well. 
And then it's before, of course, we talk about LIBOR and the foreign exchange. Uh, you know, so it's been fraud after fraud after fraud. And in the UK context, there are also these massive abuses of customers uh, through the insurance that they sold to uh, the typical borrower, home borrower, and to, through very complicated swaps. Uh, that they sold to the average small business borrower. And so, you know, HSBC claimed that it cleaned up this, its act, and it turned out that there was this other big iceberg. Uh, and it's really sort of the scandal a month club. We're talking with uh, Bill Black, who is Associate Professor of Economics and Law at the University of Missouri, Kansas, Kansas City. And also with us is Wharton Assistant Professor uh, of Accounting, Jennifer Bluen. Uh, Jennifer, this this obviously has has I would think large ramifications around the globe going forward in terms of a banking institution that big with that many tentacles being able to pull this off and being able to, in many respects, get away with this. Right. Well, that's what's so shocking is the the whole concept of many after the U.S. settlement. So that that Bill was referring to was the, about a one point nine billion dollar settlement that the U.S. Ha- government had, which is HSBC, pertaining to the truly illegal drug lord activity. Yeah. And the, the problem was, and what the perceived issue was, is nobody went to jail. So they yeah. put out, was it is it too big to jail, right? The new, <laughs> yes. new concept coming out with this financial institution. And so then they, you know, we cleaned up our act. But then when you came back to the UK system, these stories that are coming out with this release of data is, it's not just that HSBC was providing the secrecy in, in Switzerland, which, you know, the Swiss have had this bank secrecy laws sure, yeah. for years, I mean, since 1934. What was problem is that they became, they weren't just passive in their facilitating this hiding. Yeah. They became quite active. Recruiting. I, exactly. I mean, and essentially taking, as soon as there became an EU directive, like a withholding tax, yeah. to sort of say, hey, we're going to, okay, you can leave your assets in Switzerland because there are reasons, legal reasons, that you may want to to hide, which yeah. as soon as you say hide, but unrelated to taxes, that you leave those assets there. But we should tax them. You know, I think there was a 15 percent tax that was uh, by EU directive imposed on these assets. And then HSBC created, pointed out that, well, that tax was only on individual deposits, not on corporate process, profit, yeah. uh, you know, profits or, or deposits. And so they actually facilitated, they become active in the movement of and creation of entities, corporate entities, for families to essentially hide their assets. And that's the point at which you become very concerned as to the governance of this massive financial institution. Do, do we even think that, that the potential, as we mentioned, all of these criminals and, and people that were getting away with these tax advantages over the last several years, nobody went to jail? So, I mean, do we think that 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 now with this coming to light, that there is the possibility that at some point we will see some of these people related to HSBC go to jail? Or is this going to be just like everything else we've seen and basically be a slap on the wrist? I, I, you know, essentially after the almost two billion dollar settlement in the United States without anybody going to jail, it's hard to see how, you know, that's water under the bridge. Right. So many years ago, it's hard to see that they would bring this up and prosecute people now. What I think the bigger issue is for these U.K. taxpayers who are in the unfortunate situation of having their personal finances brought to light. And if there's pressure put on this non-domiciled classification that you're able to have in the U.K., um, you know, some of the runoff associated with this is the fact that the real estate market in London is beyond, you know, it's going great guns and in terms of appreciation. But it's all being bought 
and sold essentially by non-UK sure. <laughs> entities. It's part of it because they have this non-domicile um, ruling that makes it very tax efficient to be in that jurisdiction. I think I think you, HSBC, when they the records were released, there was something like 6,000 UK taxpayers that came out of the Swiss records. Yeah. And uh, I, I think they've collected a fraction of what other countries did in back taxes. And, 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 you know, I think part of the issue is not that they, they're unaware of these people. Yeah. It's that they're, they're arguing this crazy loophole. And so perhaps that was what will change at the UK. I was going to say, uh, Bill, I guess the, the non-domicile uh, uh, law is really going to be the target of a lot of anger by a lot of people that live uh, in the United Kingdom. Uh, true, but again, this comes in the context of far larger banking uh, scandals. And to pick up on Jennifer's point, uh, what we found consistently at HSBC, the prior case, the, and this case, and Standard Chartered, and UBS, and Credit Suisse, is that all four of these massive financial institutions were not passive. They actively assisted frauds. And in the case of all four of them, they would actually deliberately help you um, misidentify the information uh, so that you could evade the laws. Uh, Sometimes the laws were tax laws, but other times the laws were to prevent terrorist funding. And in all of these cases, you know, Standard Chartered actually had manuals, training manuals, (laughs) to train the staff and how to remove the information. And this is a political football potentially in the United States because of the nomination of Loretta Lynch for the Attorney General because she, of course, is the person who took the lead on the HSBC settlement. Well, go into that a little bit further. I mean, with Ms. Lynch, obviously she has uh, quite a potential for for, uh, a sticky predicament coming up here in the very near future. Well, right. Now, of course, under this theory, Holder should never be nominated. Right. That's true, too. Yes. Because he's been the one that has refused to prosecute any of these people. But Loretta Lynch uh, was the lead on uh, the uh, major case about HSBC that we've been discussing about the drug cartels and such. It was one that cried out uh, for dozens of people uh, to be uh, sent to prison. Um, would have been very attractive case, you would have thought. And so uh, w- people like uh, me, I'm, by the way, a white-collar criminologist uh, as well and a former financial regulator, we're just staggered. Nothing like this would have ever happened in our era. And Loretta Lynch is considered to be a relatively tough prosecutor among the current crew. So there's a there's got to be some backstory of uh, how... Um, a case where you would obviously prosecute the senior officials, no one ended up being prosecuted. But there's always a backstory, uh, uh, which uh, which is always the case. Um, uh, unfor- but Congress has not brought it out in these hearings. So Exa- we, exactly. There are no, you know, great emails or something. They they haven't really inquired. They have pushed back the vote that was about to occur, and by all accounts, was going to be a favorable vote in the committee. The, the the David Gulliver made a quote unquote apology uh, for this happening, which I, I I'm I have a feeling I know your opinion on that, Bill, uh, because of of the you know the tone you've had here in the the last ten or fifteen minutes. But where does his culpability in this lie? <laughs> 
Well, I, I'm not going to talk about the uh, individuals without um, more uh, information coming out, but uh, that's the, the, the great fault, is that when you don't prosecute, when you don't get real admissions of facts, and occasionally there are supposed admissions of facts by the Justice Department, but the, you can see they're carefully crafted to be almost incomprehensible, then you don't have the ability to make uh, you know, policy decisions or even judgments as a layperson as to what in God's name is really happening. And by contrast, you know, like in the savings and loan debacle, when we got over a thousand successful felony prosecutions, remember we were putting public information into the record that could be safely quoted yeah. and analyzed by everyone. And so there are tremendous costs to not prosecuting any of the individuals or even having uh, – there's never – there's only one real trial uh, about Bank of America. And one. we – yeah, yeah, this entire crisis. Yeah, and and that I guess is the frustrating thing, uh, Jennifer, when you're talking about the 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 whole institution uh, as a unit, because for the consumers that are out there, whether you be in the United States or or uh, in the UK or France or Germany, wherever you might be, you have this assumption that that the banking institutions are there to really take care of you when realistically they're not in any way, shape, or form. Well, I mean, I would argue from a, if you're a high wealthy, high wealth individual out of the UK, they HSBC took you, very yeah. good care yeah. of you, right, from that perspective. I mean, it's it's an interesting dynamic because HSBC operates, you know, has the charters able to operate in the United States. Obviously, that's why we were able yep. to prosecute them. Yep. So, I mean, and, and they make the argument is, you know, we just lost control of what was going on. And that, that that's just where you lose your comfort as to what precisely is going on. That's more turning your back than anything else. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, it, it's hard to, you know... They know they they've known this. Obviously, our when when we prosecuted uh, HSBC, we had to have had information in the backstory. It just was never released. So, does that change your? I'm going to pull my deposits out of HSBC. Yeah, you know, probably not. In fact, if you're a, I'm pretty sure if you were holding an HSBC account with a U.S. address, they fired you anyways, right? As sure. part of the Credit Suisse. So, from the from a U.S. perspective, it's hard for me to worry a lot about this. It's more along the line of what other institutions are out there and what are they doing? Who's facilitating all the, you know, sort of black market, you know, criminal activity? Yeah. It shouldn't be in the banking system. But if you have somebody duplicit, you know, essentially acting in cohorts with the criminals, we, we won't know it. And, and Bill, I guess in, in that respect, you, you have an industry where not across the board but in, in certain situations where they will they, they will turn their back on what you're doing because of the amount that you're bringing to the table you're right so it's it's not the same uh, Jennifer is quite right they give great service if great has no integrity element yeah. uh, to the uh, very wealthy and powerful but uh, Americans don't understand how bad the city of London has become. I refer to it as the financial cesspool of the world. But if you are a regular Brit, uh, the odds were excellent that you were sold a completely inappropriate insurance product with an 80% markup uh, called PPI in their jargon. If you were a small business borrower, the odds are excellent that they sold you a completely inappropriate, massive markup uh, complex 
swap, collared swap, that no small businessman understood, right? Yeah. And these have caused enormous losses. The claimants, after years of being slow-walked, are now winning 80 and 90 percent of these actions. It's just pervasively abusive. And the United Kingdom in the city of London, it's just ultra-concentrated. So, uh, you know, the great, great bulk of Brits are dealing with simply five banks that, to the extent they compete at all for the man and woman in the street, it's to prune the man and woman in the street. Yeah, and I guess if you, I believe, uh, brought it up before in that even the the people that are winning some of these cases are, are winning on pennies on the dollar, correct? Well, these they don't get consequential damages. Yeah. So, uh, and, of course, it's now eight or nine years later. Right. And just to add that, uh, one of the purposes of not acting, of course, is that basically these governments are letting the statute of limitations run. Mm -hmm. And then they can turn around and say, well, well, what can we do? That's the... This is unbelievable. That that I mean, no, it's all too believable. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, then, then that's true. Okay, I will go. I will go from that perspective then. But but for the general consumer out there, as you said, not you know, very few people will have a, a full grasp of what what has gone on here. And it, I guess in some respects, you know, with what we've dealt with in in the last several years here with the financial crisis and the housing bubble and everything here in the United States. It is believable, isn't it, Bill? Well, yeah. I'm, if you now look, you have both the finance literature. Uh, there was just a study that came out last week that says it uses the words endemic and rampant fraud, right? <laughs> and says that it was probably the lenders who, in, in liars' loans, who are responsible for the great bulk of this fraud. Um, that follows an, another one that was released recently uh, on piggyback loans that said the same thing. So these are very conservative finance scholars in the United States context, often from uh, University of Chicago, that are now coming to the position that the criminologists have been saying for a decade, uh, that you really have created a corrupt culture at many institutions. Look at LIBOR. We're talking about yeah. every single major bank in joyfully engaging in the largest uh, scam in world history that affected 350 trillion in transactions and i used to say it was the largest uh, scam in by three orders of magnitude but now with the fx scam <laughs> we can't yeah. say that anymore so these are bigger and badder things than we've seen. Uh, if you look at the government uh, agency complaints at the FDIC, the Federal Housing Finance Administration, they are replete with fraud, fraud allegations, detailed fraud allegations yeah. after investigations as to every major bank that engaged in liars' loans in the United States of America, which, by the way, is about 30. So then where is the hope then for the, the industry as a whole going forward? Because, you know, this is, I, I, is there hope? Well, sure, there's hope. I mean, uh, we've cleaned up industries before. Well, we haven't discussed one of the most critical concepts, which is uh, in economics, criminology, um, and regulation. And, and, but you never hear about it, which tells you something, and that's the Gresham's dynamic. 
And this was named by the Nobel laureate in economics, George Akerlof, in his most famous paper on lemons in 1970, so quite some time ago. But the context is, the concept as he expressed it was that uh, when you gain a competitive advantage by cheating, then markets become perverse and bad ethics will drive good ethics out of the marketplace. And that's what we've seen, um, often the deliberate creation of Gresham's dynamic. For example, uh, there's absolutely clear that the major lenders extorted the appraisers to inflate appraisals by blacklisting honest appraisers. They, that's a deliberate creation of the Gresham's dynamic. Other Gresham's dynamics are not necessarily deliberately created, but, but they're done so by modern executive and professional compensation. So we can block those dynamics. Indeed, that's what our function is as competent regulators. We recreate the rule of law so that honest bankers can prevail. Jennifer, where where is the hope for the industry? Well, I think it's a matter of if we're going to have some changes in terms of regulation. I mean, I think I think to you know it, it it's been been bad. We've had some serious you know controversies come through the banking industries, but we also have to recognize that in terms of soundness, you know, we have a pretty good system in terms of those of us who have secured deposits. I don't want people to feel as though I can't go down to my local financial institution and leave my money there. Yeah. That said, as I think Bill points out, is you should always be a skeptic before you buy a product, right? Even from your financial institution, you need to understand what it is that you're purchasing. And I think that that's just a matter of sort of personal education. I think that we go into our bank and say, you know, you're regulated, you're insured, yeah. everything I'm going to get from you is is you know I, I can I can feel assured that it's safe without that question get, without question and and it's not and I think that that's kind of a misconception by the public. Um, that said, you know I, our our large financial institution, our large investment banks are coming more under the regulatory scrutiny since we've had the the credit crisis. Uh, obviously, though, we have a number of European financial institutions that still need some pretty significant reform. So a matter of are we uh, worse than anybody else in the world? I don't think that's the case. I think we've probably worked through some more of this. Um, but these liar loans and things along that line, hopefully that's been cleared up. Right. Um, on a move forward basis, though, I, I think the bigger changes are going to come in Europe. And, and But obviously, in order to get those type of changes going forward, you know, it, it's a process that's going to take a little while to be able to kind of get this all put put into alignment. Right. And it's a political process. As soon as yeah. you have any sort of regulatory body interacting with Congress, it becomes politicized. And so that, as you know, adds a layer of complexity <laughs> onto everything. More times aggravation than anything else. Absolutely. But at least now what we've seen here and what, you know, is very interesting is we've seen the data. We've seen how bad it could be. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think financial institutions are going to be reluctant uh, to undertake activities that the, maybe they once did because there's always the risk that the data could be disclosed. Great to have you both on the show. Thank you very much, Bill. Great to have you on the phone today. Thank you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.